This is Talking Urology. I'm Talking Urology with Kevin McVary, who is a specialist in BPH and LUTs from the Southern Illinois University School of Medicine. He gave an excellent talk today on the future directions of LUTs BPH. Do we really need all this stuff? What were the highlights that you gave in your talk today? Well, one of the focuses of of my practice and, and urology itself is where, do, where does the minimally invasive surgical treatment fit to what we already do, um, what's called a mist therapy. And, and I think it's a controversial point because these are, in some ways, newer technology kind of busting their way into our more traditional algorithm. One of the things I, I mentioned this morning um, was about why are people attract, why are patients and physicians attracted to these new technologies. And, and, and I, the, my, my feeling is that they're attractive because of the reduced risk of changes in sexual function. There is a cost when, you're, when you have less risk, and that's that you probably have less, less impact. So the things that a urologist may care about, improving the symptoms, improving the flow, with some low-level but definite risk of change in sexual function, it's a bit of a trade-off for a patient where he may accept not such robust outcomes if he can reduce his risk. So balance impact versus risk. And when patients do that, they tend to choose less risk. So one of the things I think that drives this, again, is is not what they do, it's what they don't do, and they don't impact sexual function. Fantastic. All right, your thoughts on the Eurolift? Well, it's a you know, very innovative technique, and for a niche prostate, it's got some distinct advantages. It improves symptoms and does not impact uh, sexual function, at least by every measure that we make. A downside is that probably a third of our patients don't qualify because that middle lobe can be a problem. So that's a potential negative. Although it is definitely attractive to patients and physicians are accepting it uh, more and more each each month. Uh, The real question with any minimally invasive therapy is, is it going to be durable? Now, we all went through the microwave techniques from a decade or so ago, and then Prostiva, the the tuna device, again, a decade or so ago. Um, And those therapies have been cast aside mostly because of the problem with durability. Those men tend to come back for more treatment. And so uh, we know that when you start to do mist, you have this risk. Are are you going to get the impact you want for the rest of that patient's life? And if you're not, then should you be using it at all? Patients would vote yes. They're willing to take that risk. But as, as urologists, we've got to be honest with ourselves about, is this, is this going to be the last operation first, or is this going to be an annuity program where every couple of years they come back and get a tune-up? What are some of the newer techniques or agents coming through? So um, one in America that is catching on is convective vapor therapy, water vapor, called Resume, where you inject into the transition zone a small amount of steam, water converted to steam, and it's, it stays within the transition zone. Um, that has a lot of versatility because if you inject it, it doesn't travel into the peripheral zone. That's what we care about when we treat BPH. And the 
anatomy of the prostate is almost not relevant because whatever you see on the day you do the procedure, you can treat it. You don't have to screen out patients. In a sense, that t t type of technique is more inclusive. So that's an attraction. Now, it's, it's newer. It's a, a data is officially a year, but the two-year data is very stable. But again, we have to hold its feet to the fire to see, is it going to be a durable? And again, good impact as far as no change in sexual function. That's very attractive uh, to our patients. So there is a, a very innovative idea about, it's called Protox, and it's a fusion protein that is activated into an apoptosis-creating impact on the prostate, and it's activated by PSA. It's really a cool idea. It takes about literally two minutes to do in the office. It is absolutely simple. Will but it the, work? Well, uh, the, the pilot studies we've done so far, there is statistical improvement in symptoms and flow. But you've got to be careful with these kinds of injections because there's a marked sham effect. And so in the, they were successful as a pilot. We need to do more studies, so stay tuned. But just from the biology standpoint, it's a really cool concept. I'm going to throw some other treatments at you. Pro-Arc. Pro-Arc. Well, I only know what I read, and what I read is not so impressive. So I'd say we, we, we need to stay tuned for that one. How about this one? Prostatic artery embolization. Yes. So, you know, there's a problem with that technique. Um, uh, I should say those studies. They're poorly designed studies, and you really can't, there really aren't good control groups, so you really don't know how are you really changing it for the man. I mean, you, you always have to say, oh, this is an improvement compared to what? If you don't have the right control group, then the whole, the whole, um, the whole process falls apart. And that's the problem with our embolization is that they're not urologists doing the procedures. They really don't under, they really have not demonstrated an understanding of what drives lower urinary tract symptoms. In their mind, in, in many of those studies, it's like if you have a prostate, we're going to infarct it. Well, we know that prostate's not the whole story on LUTs. In fact, it's a fraction of it. LUTs is a much more complex problem. So what are you really treating when you're embolizing? And, and guess what? The PSA drops, and then it comes back, right back to where it used to be. To me, that says problem with durability. You had one very interesting point in your talk as well regarding the cost of waiting. So watchful waiting versus early TERPs. I always thought if they didn't have too much bother, we didn't need to worry. Yeah, so the story on that is if you look at men who were randomized to TERP versus active surveillance and then they crossed back over from the active surveillance arm to the TORP, they don't improve as much as the guys who had the early TORP. Now... That's a problem. Now, this is supported when you look at the placebo group from big drug studies where they had long-term medical therapy like dutesteride. And when those men, after a two-year period, if they cross back over to active therapy, to the real drug, they don't catch up to their peers. So that means there is, there is a measurable impact with delaying effective treatment. The question is, how big and what does it mean to a patient? And when they do need a TERP, do you do monopolar TERPs? I, I stopped monopolar TERPs a long time ago, and the reason I did it is a patient safety issue. Um, the bipolar technology is, is definitely safer. It's very versatile. 
I would say um, there are no disadvantages to a, convert, a total conversion to bipolar and leave mon- monopolar around. It's a little bit slower, but what's 10 minutes in a day? And what's your preference? Do you using a loop or a button? I, I use all the technologies, and I, I, I use a button like I would a PVP. I use a button for a smaller gland um, where I'm uh, trying to do it as an outpatient procedure. When prostates get much bigger, 100 grams and above, then I, I, I fall back to my old ways and I just use a, a loop because I feel like that's a tougher anatomy, a tougher prostate to tackle, and I know I can get the job done if I do it with a loop. And that's, that's opinion, not fact. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure, Kevin. I hope you enjoy your stay in Melbourne. Enjoy it so much. Thank you.